Thank you, Charlotte, for reading scripture for us this morning. And it is my distinct pleasure to welcome and introduce to you all uh, the Reverend Deb Stanbury, who is the executive director of Arise Ministry. Arise offers hope to those involved in the sex trade through providing outreach, case management, and pastoral care. Deb is a minister in our denomination, the Presbyterian Church in Canada, and has been engaged in ministry with street-involved youth and women involved in the sex trade since 2007. She graduated from VST, uh, with her MDiv in 2008, and Knox College, which is our neighbor um, downtown here with the THM in 2016, and was ordained in 2010. And it really is our pleasure to have Deb with us here this morning. So if you would, um, let's pray for Deb together. God, we are so grateful, grateful for Deb, for the ministry that you've called her to, and for her ability to be here with us this morning to share your word with us. We pray that we would have ears to hear and hearts to know and understand all the things that you're saying to us in this time, for our lives individually and for our life as a church. We pray that the words of her mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. With you this morning, if you can hear me okay, there we go. Stories are powerful. They are meaningful and meaning-making. They are transformative. And the way one begins a story matters. Some of the first words my siblings and I learned to read as children were once upon a time, there were four little rabbits and their names were Flopsy, Mopsy, Cottontail, and Peter. These familiar opening words from the tale of Peter Rabbit were printed on the placemats that we ate off of at nearly every meal. A good first line is memorable. It's quotable. It makes us want to know more. The start of Mark's gospel begins a new story. Mark was the first gospel in our Bible to have been written. And it is arguably the first narrative and written interpretation of the oral proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. And you can hear the excitement of the gospel writer as you read Mark's gospel. Everything happens now and immediately like he just can't wait to tell you what happens next. Biblical scholarship asserts that Luke and Matthew wrote their narrative accounts of the good news by referring to this earlier account from Mark. Interestingly, Mark's gospel doesn't contain a birth narrative. This first story of the good news does not begin with Christmas. There's no baby born in a stable, no angels and shepherds and stars. There are not three gifts from wise men traveling from the east. Rather, it's a story of one wise man looking perhaps more wild than wise, offering a very different gift. John, dressed in camel's hair, eating locusts and wild honey, appears in the wilderness on the banks of the River Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance 
for the forgiveness of sins. Mark begins the story in the wilderness. The stage is set. The setting is steeped with the memories of the great stories of faith. The stories of deliverance and redemption, the story of God meeting God's people in creative and powerful ways in the wilderness. The stories of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the stories of Moses and the journey out of slavery in Egypt through the wilderness where the Ten Commandments were given and where water came forth from rocks and manna came from heaven. The stories of the prophets, of exile and return, of destruction and redemption. God meets God's people in the wilderness in some very profound and creative ways in the midst of their struggle to see, know, and understand God. Amidst their laments, their doubts and temptations, God breaks through and enters in. God continues to break through, to seek us out, searching for us, reaching out to us in the wilderness of our lives, in our lostness and wandering, in our doubt and despair. Out there in the wilderness, John the baptizer, God's messenger, is preparing the way for the Lord, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the Judean countryside and all of Jerusalem are going to him to confess their sins and be baptized. They came as lost and wandering sinners. They came because they were lost and wandering sinners. Baptism wasn't about being perfect or blameless. It was about being humble. It wasn't about being sought. It was about being sought out by God. Well, they were lost and wandering sinners and knowing that without God, they would still be lost and wandering sinners. There's humbleness at the banks of the River Jordan. John knows he's not it. He's not the Messiah. Unless anyone think he is, he proclaims, there's one coming after me who is more powerful than I. I am not worthy to untie his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And then one day it happens. A man comes from Nazareth of Galilee to be baptized by John in the Jordan, a man named Jesus. And just as he's coming up out of the water, the heavens are torn open and the Spirit of God descends on him like a dove. God's Spirit again hovers over the surface of the water, just as it did at creation. And a voice from heaven says, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. Now Jesus' ministry hadn't really begun yet. As far as we know, and as much as Mark tells us, Jesus hadn't done anything yet. He just comes in humbleness to the Jordan to be baptized. Perhaps pleasing God isn't about what we've done or not done. Perhaps pleasing God is about who God is 
and how deeply God loves us. Here, at the beginning of the story, out in the wilderness, in the waters of the River Jordan, Jesus' identity is claimed and proclaimed by God in a powerful and profound way. And God is well pleased. Jesus being named and claimed by God is the way Mark begins the story. Identity and belonging, these are often God's first actions when interacting with God's people. The baptism of Jesus is reflected on by Lutheran pastor Nadia Bowles-Weber in her book Pastrix in a way that really resonated for me. She says, identity, it's always God's first move. Before we do anything wrong, before we do anything right, God has named us and claimed us as God's own. But almost immediately, other things try to tell us who we are and to whom we belong. But only God can do that. Everything else is temptation. Immediately after Jesus is baptized, according to Mark, the Spirit drove him into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan, God's adversary, the accuser. If God's first actions are about identity, belonging, naming, and claiming, Satan's first move is to counter and throw that into question. Claiming and reclaiming belovedness is at the heart of the gospel, and it is at the center of what Arise Ministry is about. It's in our name. Advocacy and reclaiming individuals involved in the sex trade through empowerment. Many of our friends who have experienced exploitation know about having their identity thrown into question or having another lay claim on their life, their goals, their dreams, and their future. They have experienced other people telling them who they are, giving them a street or stage name, sometimes branding them with tattoos, telling them what they are good for and exactly how much they are worth down to the dollar. Arise Ministries peer support worker, Angel Power, is a survivor of sexual exploitation. And she begins her book, The Darkness and the Light, with a poem describing the robbing of her identity, titled Empty Shell. They took my identity when they made me dislike the real me. They took my mind when they changed how I think. The real me is now suppressed. Soon there will be no sign of my true self left. I've become someone else to adapt and survive, but someday when it's safe, my soul will be revived. Until that day, I continue to hide. When Angel and I first met, she was still hiding, not sure if it was safe or if I was safe. Writing poetry was a reclaiming of her own voice coming to trust her mind and her soul. Angel and I would talk about the strengths she saw within herself, her goals and her dreams. She began feeling safe enough to share her poetry with me 
and expressing her dream and goal of one day having that poetry published. Week after week, I watched Angel come to voice, reclaim her hopes, her dreams, her identity, her worth. To be reclaimed is to be restored to value, to experience attachment, achievement, autonomy, and altruism the four wellsprings of courage, write the authors of the book Reclaiming Youth at Risk. Angel is one of the most courageous people I know. And when Arise celebrated our fifth anniversary in 2018, Angel shared a poem about the journey we had been on together, titled quite fittingly, The Journey to Arise. And we have a video of uh, angels sharing that poem. Um, Over COVID, she's been recording some of her videos, some of her poetry, rather. When I began the journey to reclaiming my future, I was exhausted from the past, but I was able to continue because I met someone who walked with me on my path. One-on-one, we journeyed together, and though I disappeared many times, I always knew I could come back, and because of that, I started taking more steps forward and stopped looking behind. I was empowered to look within, and it was then the healing could begin and my voice I could find. When I began the journey to arise, I was literally picking myself up off the pavement and dusting off the dirt. I was full of pain, anger, fear, confusion, desperation, and hurt. But that one person kept working with me and worked and worked and worked. The most basic definition of the word arise is to get up. And to get up, you don't already have to be on your feet. You can arise from the lowest point. When I chose to arise, I refused defeat. I could have chosen to give up. I could have chosen to give in. Or I could choose to rise up and the journey would begin. It all started with the empowerment given by that one person who stood beside me and listened. Through this, we've seen hope arise. Through this, we've seen compassion arise. We've seen knowledge, understanding, and awareness arise, and we've seen the darkness be overcome by the light. Through this, we've seen empowerment arise. We've seen dreams arise. Through this, we've seen women arise as mothers, and their children will arise, and their children's children will arise. We arose together as sisters and brothers. And it all started with that one person who listened and her vision. Arise the society, empower individuals, and grow as community. That is the mission. Reclaiming and empowerment come together at Arise. Angel may have felt lost, confused, unsure of who she was, an empty shell when we first met. But before I knew any part of her story or the way our journey together would unfold, I knew the only thing I needed to know. She is a beloved child of God, fearfully and wonderfully made. Claiming, reclaiming, and proclaiming belovedness and treating one another as the beloved people that each is is central to our work at Arise. But I think it's also central to the ways that we participate in God's mission at work in the world. 
Reclaiming belovedness empowers courage. Our identity has nothing to do with how others perceive us. It has everything to do with God naming us and claiming us as God's own. The story of the baptism of Jesus might seem at first glance like a strange place for Mark to begin, but I think it might just be the perfect place to begin. For our identity in and before God as beloved seems really like the only place to begin. Baptism is about God's action upon us, God's self-giving, God calling and claiming us, God ripping open the heavens and saying, you are my child, my beloved. With you, I am well pleased. Baptism is not about our own goodness or choosing or merits. It's about who God is, what God does, and how deeply God loves us. You are a child of God. You are beloved. You are called. And God is well pleased. To God be all the glory. Amen. We invite you to reflect and ponder and wonder at these questions. What are the voices that throw into question identity by telling you who you are and to whom you belong? How are you reclaiming your identity as a beloved child of God? And how are you affirming or empowering others as beloved children of God?